Hey friends, this week it's a bit of a deep discussion uh, as I talked with my friend Matt Kane about philosophy, thinking well, wrong ways of thinking, Cartesian duality, Augustine, you name the lot. So grab yourself a cup of tea and just spend some time listening to us. It's been such a great chat that I had to... We went on for probably an hour and a half and I had to cut this down to half an hour. So we're going to have another um, episode coming out with the second half of um, of our conversation. But without further ado, here is our first half as I talk to Matt Cain about his life and philosophy. I'm sitting in a Zoom call with my friend Matt Cain here. Hey, Matt Cain. Hey, Sam. And I've got a, a finished cup of Melbourne breakfast uh, with me. Do you, you have a cup of anything? I have, I, I have an empty travel cup that was, I think it was a Tetley's. <laughs> that's okay. Well, no Earl Grey's for today, but that's fine. Today, uh, well, Matt Kane is an interesting fellow, and that's why I've asked him, well, not only is he interesting, uh, he's an ordinary bloke, but I asked any and everyone who's interesting to uh, speak uh, on this podcast. And Matt, you are a honours student, if I'm correct, working on a thesis on, um, on Chesterton and... Uh, G.K. Chesterton's work and someone else who I've forgotten. Yep. Um, G.K. Chesterton and um, uh, 6th century philosopher Boethius. Boethius. How do you spell Boethius? Um, I'm going to go to Brains Trust here and pick up the book so I don't get it wrong. <laughs> um, live on air, Matt makes a mistake. No, um, it's uh, B-O-E-T-H-I-U-S. Well, I think I've seen it spelt without the H. Ah, I, I nearly got it right. I had a uh, A-E somewhere in there. It's, it's Latin, so you should expect an A-E. <laughs> um, yeah, and he blogged at forthetimesbeing.wordpress.com. Um, that's forthetimesbeing.wordpress.com. And he blogs about literature and poetry and everything that I love, especially T.S. Eliot, which we will get back to. But um, for now, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Right. Um, I am sort of accidentally an art student. Um, I, I always loved reading books, but then um, accidentally fell into a degree doing English Lit and Philosophy. Um, mm. And yeah, so I... I I didn't seek out the books. The books sought out me. Um, I love but, that. It's like, but I'm okay with that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, yeah. So I, I, I was thinking more like the thug life, but yeah. Um, and that's about as thuggish as I get. So, you know, um, but I, yeah, I, I just so found myself keep ending up doing these subjects. I was like, Oh, I guess I'll do a degree in it. 
and um, that's been awesome. I'm also, um, I'm an avid tea drinker. So, um, you know, Earl Grey is close to the heart. Great. Um, What's your favorite tea? I reckon, so I reckon there's lots of great flavored teas out there, but my favorite everyday tea is actually just a standard Tetley's black tea. Right, right. Not um, not Dilma or um, or what's the other one? Um, tw- so Twining Twinings. has lots of good stuff, um, but Tetley's just for like a standard black cup of tea. Yeah, it's really hard to go past Tetley's. It just what's the right your flavor. What's the most bizarre flavor that you've had? Most bizarre flavor, I reckon. Actually, so I've I've done sort of because I'm pretty absent-minded sometimes um, and so normally I'll drink black tea with milk but I've gone and I've made peppermint tea and then I've just gone and added milk and I'm like oh well it's a bit late now isn't it um, that's a bizarre flavor what um, is what does that taste like it's, I'm, it's I'm like curious it, it it's more it's more like eating a mint than just because pe- peppermint tea have flavor but then you also have this milky like it, it just adds to it and makes you more disorientated and like this isn't mint, but it's mint like. So it's like it's like eating a mint, I reckon. Would you would you recommend people to have milk with their peppermint? You should you should do it once, but you should probably do it because you actually know what you're doing, not because you're really forgetful. <laughs> it's like putting milk in chamomile or something. I've also done that. Again, oh. I think I just forgot, and I was like, "Had I?" <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> yep. Uh, um, I, I I don't know how people. I'll just throw the milk away. Sorry, I'll throw the tea away. <laughs> but you you persevered. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, tell us you you are a philo- philosophy slash literature, uh, studying philosophy slash literature. Would 14, 15-year-old Kane, oh, Matt, <laughs> yeah. looking at, uh, would he suspect that you would be where you are? I reckon, I think 15-year-old Matt would have, but 17-year-old Matt would have laughed at you. I reckon, so I, I reckon there was a point where I was like, I love books and I was homeschooled. So most of my study at in school was reading books um my family would give me books and say read that and then come back tell us what you think and that's how i learned um but i think when i was 17 and i was at like normal school um philosophy didn't interest me i i liked english but i don't think i would have studied it um so it's a a little bit of a surprise um Mm. yeah and for your average Joe Blow who's never done an arts degree, uh, <laughs> what is the, like, I, I didn't do an arts degree, what's the um, study of philosophy like at university? Sure. So I think, um, like, leaving aside differences of, like, what um, each uni is like, because different unis will have different focus areas. Um, sure. I found... Um, it's a weird mix of discovering that philosophy is a lot older than you thought, um, or a lot, because everyone knows about Plato, like they've heard the name, which 
I, I knew nothing about Plato until I started studying him, but we've all heard the name and we all know that he was an ancient Greek. And then we know that there are these people that sit in armchairs today, but none of us really know about that bit in the middle. And that bit in the middle is huge. And there's so much thought and it's amazing how many different views of the world people can come up with. Um, mm. So I'd firstly say it's just disorientating because there's so much in there and it's, all rather confusing and you're supposed to take it seriously um and then i think it's also um there's also something really fascinating um about how in philosophy one of the things i've really enjoyed is looking at older philosophers like medieval philosophers or someone like um, boethius who we mentioned before and seeing how someone saw the world uh and they thought about it very deeply and they, they didn't have their brain switched off. And yet they're coming at it from such a different culture and experience. Um, and so there are all these differences and all these things that they just think differently um, and assume they have different assumptions to us, but they're still thinking really deeply um, and often have a lot of things worth hearing today. Um, I found that really fruitful and really cool to hear. Mm. For the average Joe Blow, you know, one sure. of why philosophy is important ought to be there's a little bit of spiel it is one sentence yeah but um but there's a little bit of spiel behind it uh so and this actually leads us to chesterton um he once wrote an essay um and chesterton was started the 20th century um but he once wrote an essay which was basically saying there are more important things than practicality and to find those you have to think that that would be my one sentence it's more important to know what's worth living for um, than being really highly skilled. Because you can have all the skill in the world, but if you don't know what's worth living for, what are you going to use that skill for? Right, that's that's so fascinating. Like it is it's about like purpose, isn't it? So you could you could if you if, if you redefine philosophy, is is it then the the seeking of purpose? Philosophy is this it's this bizarre thing where sometimes it's been sort of um, what scientific theory came out of um, was people, that was a particular philosophical worldview, um, which then they started applying. Uh, but then it's also got stuff like ethics and how then should we live? Um, and sometimes it's been really religious um and so i i think it has a lot to do with purpose and meaning um but some some philosophers you'd never guess it from the way that they write right um, right yeah that really kind of helps me to think that philosophy isn't just about the armchair um because philosophy is about a a grander view of life that situates us in, I guess, meaning. 
someone should write a book about like um, how the armchair has played a role in philosophy throughout the ages because um, that, that just sounds weird. But what I mean is, um, for instance, during the medieval era, um, philosophers would say, if you don't try to actually live a moral life as best you can, um, you will not be able to do good philosophy because you as a person, uh, you're already on the wrong track. So whatever you think is going to go down the wrong track. Right. Um, which I think is a fascinating view. And um, I think it's probably been a while since a lot of people have said that. But I reckon that's a really powerful thing to say and actually think if you're not, if you're not trying to live just as a good human being, why do you think that you're going to be able to think well? Um, at, at times, it has been incredibly armchairy, um, but at times, it's it's actually led people to take life really seriously um, and take seriously what it means to be wise rather than just clever. So how would you distinguish the difference between wise and clever? I, I once heard the saying that um, uh, being clever is knowing that tomato is a fruit, but being wise is not putting tomato in a fruit salad. Yeah, I mean, that's not a bad, that's not a bad way of saying it. I think wisdom, I'm not really like, drawing on any great philosophers here. So this is just Matt's average mind. But I reckon wisdom seems to be, um, it's about your, your thinking life connecting with your active life. So um, it's partly that you take what you think seriously and you actually live by what you believe. And so your thoughts affect your actions. Um, but then it's also you can't just sit in the armchair and just think. You actually have to take life seriously enough to go out and try and live it well. Right. So, um, would you say then wisdom is applied philosophy? It's like an application of philosophy, um, but I think it it ought to challenge you to have to stop and think: Can I apply my philosophy, and does it end well? In which case my philosophy is probably a, a wise philosophy or does it end really badly because you know there are ways of thinking which if you apply it um things go really wrong for you and everyone else really quickly um so i'd be hesitant to say applying philosophy because some philosophies are just stupid um just because you think a lot doesn't mean you think well um with you know um every art student upon you know saying that is a bit like oh that's that's me <laughs> um yeah I, I spend a lot of time thinking but it doesn't mean i'm thinking well um i think that's where the living part comes in again if you if you can't take responsibility for yourself or if you can't take life seriously enough or as valuable enough to care about how you live it um then 
I don't, does, does that make you just a bit of an egomaniac mm. in thinking that your thoughts are really important? Mm. Um, yeah. What, is, what have been some bad philosophies in our world that has caused major unhelpful living? Sure. Um, well, I reckon um, maybe the first one that comes to mind is um, the one that Chesterton was addressing in that essay that I mentioned before, um, where that philosophy is that thoughts don't really matter. What matters is practical results. Um, it's sort of, you could call it like a materialist Ethic or a prag pragmaticism? Yeah, it's a pragmatic ethic. Um, I think I see that as really problematic because you never actually stop and think about is this good or bad? You just think is this practical and can we get more of it? Um, and maybe like the example that is most obvious to everyone is capitalism is incredibly practical, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's a great way of making money. The only problem is maybe there's more important things than making money. Um, I reckon that's one. Um, I think another one, which is bad in a different way, um, is certain, certain forms of idealism. Um, so idealism is the idea that everything is ultimately mental rather than material, um, which sounds weird and welcome to philosophy because it's pecking bizarre. Um, but there are types of idealism which say essentially sort of everything out there in the world is more or less in your mind and when you think like that, um, why would you ever bother caring about someone else? And I think what's actually really interesting, um, I've sort of highlighted um, something that Chesterton highlights. He sort of sets out, he looks around at philosophies of his day and he sees, um, in the sciences, he sees materialists who say everything is material. And so what you need to do is do tests and um, you need to find ways of getting practical physical results. Um, and then in the other realm, um, in the other realm, he saw idealists in sort of like the arts. Um, you could say postmodernism is similar to like what he saw in the arts, but maybe that's a little bit of a stretch. But he saw this, this idea of everything is ultimately mental and about what's going on in your mind. And if you think like that, you're never going to go out and feed the poor um, or try and win justice for people who are suffering or even just, you know, love the people mm -hmm. in the same house as you well. Because um, why would you? It's all something going on up in your mind. What I need to do is think. Yeah, about. it seems um, like is that does that originate from a Cartesian kind of 
duality? Yeah, or that's, I think that's normally how people see it. Um, and I think as best I can tell, that that's basically what, um, what Descartes managed to do was he said, there's the mental world on one side and there's the physical realm on the other. And they're basically totally separate. And so ever since then, when someone's come along, they've sort of had to choose, do I want the physical realm where, you know, my body is, or do I want the mental realm where my mind is? Um, it sort of seems like an unfair choice, right? Like you shouldn't have to choose between your body or your mind. Um, and so some, pe some people say that um, Descartes really messed up philosophy <laughs> um, by doing that. Um, it's really one of the funny things about philosophy is that lots of people from all different philosophies today hate on Descartes, <laughs> for instance. Um, they just they trash him and they talk about how bad his dualism is, but they don't agree with each other on why. Like, um, they'll come in from really different angles. So, um, Thomists who are um, usually Catholics. Uh, will come at him and have arguments from Thomas Aquinas against Descartes, but then um, postmodernists will have their own complaints and modernists will have their own um, empiricist scientific complaint. Mm. Um, and everyone's really angry at Descartes, but they all have their different reasons for being, they're just angry at him, but we're not quite sure which is the best reason to be angry. Yeah. Or, Before we get uh, into a Canist approach, um, a, <laughs> a Matthew Canist approach in critiquing Descartes, let, let me, I just want to land it with our um, listeners a little bit. How do we see that in our lives today? in our everyday lives. Do we, you know, I, I might be walking down the street and I might have no idea about what Descartes talked about, but I might still live in certain areas of my life following a duality. Yeah, sure. Um, I reckon that's a really good question. I'm trying to come up with like a good example. Um, I reckon I reckon one example might be we often think on the one hand, we think a lot um, in this day and age, like everyone has a lot of thoughts going through their mind. Um, but we all seem uh, to think that our thoughts don't really matter that much when it comes to understanding reality. Um, for instance, um, if I, if I see something which I think is beautiful, um, I'm very unlikely um, personally to think, wow, that's really beautiful. That tells me something about what reality is like. Um, instead, what I normally do is I think, wow, that's really beautiful. I wonder what things in my life have psychologically impacted me to bring me to that point. Um, and now that's not necessarily Descartes, um, but it is the duality between, um, 
my internal subjective world of my thoughts and the external uh, world of reality other than me. Um, so that, that's also playing into people like um, Kant and Freud and just, you know, lots of uh, different thinkers which have added up to how we think today. Um, right. But you, but you can hopefully see in that example, um, there's this split between what I think um, and what, what I actually encounter in the world around me. Um, just because I see something beautiful um, or I think, oh, that's good, just because I like something, um, I feel no assurance that it's actually a good thing. Um, and that that actually says something true about reality. Instead, it just says something about what I think. Right, right. So it's it's even slipping into that what you a a the world is my conception, um, hmm. and even a perhaps a relativist uh, ethic at times. Yeah, which is, I think, to be honest, from what I understand of him, I don't think Descartes would have liked that. Um, but I do think it is partly to do with how strongly we separate um, mind and matter today. Mm. Um, we, yeah, we always assume one of them is fake, uh, which is a really, it's a really weird assumption in a way. Um, and I think from what I can tell, um, I think most of us sort of tend to think that our thoughts are, they're, they're kind of a secondary reality. They're sort of like they exist, but they just exist in my mind. And therefore they don't really say something about the world. They're caused by things going on in the actual world. Um, and and so they're not they're not really real if i think something's good that says more about um who i am as a person and what things i like uh than it does about what's right and wrong or what's good and bad um and i'm also in your in your example about beauty it's just been thinking about this i've, I've been thinking about this in terms of COVID period and the amount of weight I've gained. Um, <laughs> but this, yep, yep, this, right there. <laughs> but uh, hear me out, hear me out. But this this idea that we all we all have this ideal of what a human body ought to look like, and there is a there is a unwillingness at I'm not, I'm not saying that gymming is bad and exercise is bad but in our day and age there's an obsession with altering our bodies so that it meets an ideal rather than loving the bodies that we already have mm. is that part of a kind of that that kind of the the split between body and mind as well hmm. i so I, I hadn't thought about it in that way. I reckon there could, there could be. Um, 
I think when I'd thought about it, I'd thought about more how there's the, um, what would you call it? There's, there's loving your body um, well or there's loving it in a way that's selfish or obsessive. Um, so I'm actually drawing here on, um, on St. Augustine, um, who is great for so many reasons. Um, one of which being he's a philosopher that's actually easy and kind of fun to read. Um, but there's better reasons to read him than that. Um, <laughs> way better reasons. Um, but he, he talks about how, he talks a lot about love and he talks about how um, morality is about ordering our love rightly. And so if you see sort of, um, you know, when, when, I, when I put on a couple of kilos during COVID, um, that may say that I actually don't care enough about my body. And I don't give it the love it deserves. But at the same time, um, if I'm obsessing over my body and if I'm spending all my time at the gym because I want to be fit, um, I might be making my, my body may be an idol to me of, I think I'll find happiness here. Um, and often I think behind that, when someone, when someone makes an idol of something like, you know, it could be their body, but it could be lots of things. Um, for an art student, I'm often very tempted to make, um, how intelligent I sound or how eloquent I can speak. Um, that, that, you know, that's something I could easily set up as an idol, right? Mm. Um, Just pause there for a second. For our listeners mm. who might not be Christian, what is an, how would you explain idol to them? Sure. That's, that's actually a really good question. So thanks for picking me up on that. Um, well, on the one hand, you can just think about the, the image that Augustine is giving there of um, an idol as um, a false god. Um, right. So you can think of it that way. Because um, the theology of Augustine is talking about, you know, that, that famous quote, um, uh, what is it? I, I, something, uh, my soul only finds rest. Uh, what is it? Our hearts are made for you um, and they are restless until they find their rest in that, you. That's right. So the whole whole theology or the way how Augustine sees the world is that ultimate love and ultimate good and ultimate pleasure is is only found in God and to put anything other than God in that place of the whole in the heart is idolatry. Yeah, which probably, <laughs> probably should pick up at that point. Um, that's not to say that the world is pretty second rate and not that important. Um, you know, Augustine would yell at you if you said that. Yeah. Actually that whatever good you see in this world, and this world has been made incredibly well, so there's so much good in it, but the problem is that we don't see that this world is created by God. And so all the goodness and the beauty and the real capacity for joy that is in this world 
has its source in a God who is actually so good that he can make a world like this. Um, mm. And so when we, when we turn to uh, created things, we were using the example of like um, the gym junkie with his body um, or the art student with, you know, can they impress people? Um, when you turn to those created things, you know, it's great to be smart. It's great to be fit. Um, but, when, but when we turn to those things, we limit ourselves and we say, the whole purpose of my life is this one thing, which is just one part of who I am. If you want to really understand who you are, um, Augustine would say, and um, it, it's a pretty big claim, but he would say, you have to understand that you're made in the image of God. And so nothing in this world can identify you because nothing in this world um, can compare with the God who made it. Nothing in this world is so incredible that you can actually get a good image of who you are out of it. Because who you are is in the likeness of God. Um, and there's a lot more that you could talk about, you know, um, Augustine has a lot to say about moral evil and the need for redemption, but that's a really important part of his thought is that this world is incredible, but we're ultimately made not for less than this world, not to hate ourselves, but to love God and his so much more than we could ever find in this world. That to go seeking in the things of this world will always leave you um, it will always leave you empty-handed in the end. It'll yeah.